Hello and welcome to the Conscious Health and Life podcast. I'm your host, Ellen Louise, naturopath, and my aim for this podcast is to open your mind and help you to be empowered with your health. I interview experts in their field to discuss everything and anything health-related, mind, body, and spirit. I'm so happy to have you here. Let's get started. Hey there, welcome back to the Conscious Health and Life podcast. Today, I have the amazing Christina, the HPV naturopath, here with me today talking all about HPV. Christina is on a mission to break the stigma surrounding HPV and empower women to take control of their cervical health through holistic healing. With over a decade of experience in the natural health field, Christina combines traditional and modern scientific and holistic practices to help women with HPV on their personal healing journeys. Having overcome her own struggles with HPV, Hashimoto's and celiac disease, Christina understands the complexities of these conditions and is dedicated to finding and treating their root causes. Through her naturopathic practice, Christina offers personalized one-on-one coaching and a comprehensive online program specifically designed for women with HPV. This program led by Christina provides the exact steps and templates needed to create a unique healing roadmap addressing both the physical and emotional aspects of the condition. So let's get into the episode. I am just so pumped to talk all about HPV with someone who is so knowledgeable about the topic. And I just know that so many people need to hear this message, including a lot of my clients, including a lot of people who contact me on social media. So thank you so much for being here, Christina. Thank you for inviting me, Ellen. It's very exciting to be able to talk to more people about this subject, because as you were saying, it is something that's not talked about enough. And I just Mm. love it when I can spread the message to even more women. So let's go. Amazing. So I am interested, um, what actually made you become interested in learning about HPV? Was it, it was something that you experienced yourself and then delved into the topic or what was the, what happened? Yes, definitely. Personal experience was my kind of like trigger, I would say. Um, I had HPV myself and as a a naturopath, I was determined to find a different solution. And I was just um, met with so much resistance from my gynecologist. And I was just really shocked at how if you're a normal person relying on the uh, information from your doctor and the advice of your doctor how mm. well how how little choices that you're left with when you have HPV or cervical dysplasia um, I myself work with a naturopath to help me because even if I was a naturopath myself yes um, we also need help and we also <laughs> want other people to take care of us uh, and that really helped me a lot so I, when I wanted to specialize in something, I just realized that this is like a topic that I couldn't really find many other naturopaths specializing in mm. and which was completely underrepresented, which is why I decided to, to go that down that route. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And I shared with you before that 
The reason why I wanted to interview someone on this topic is because a close friend of mine uh, got diagnosed with cervical cancer from getting HPV missed in her whole health journey. So it just really made me want to, yeah, be able to spread the message that you know, early detection obviously is always best, but that you can also heal naturally um, and not just have to wait and see what happens in six months, which is always the common one that I tend to hear. Um, True, true. Yeah. But as you say, early detection is really important. And, uh, you know, in the Western world, we do have uh, a lot of uh, healthcare procedures in place that ensure that we have our pap smears regularly. Um, so, so there is this early detection. If that has mm-hmm. not happened for your friend, you know, that is, that is really sad because we do have a lot of help in place for this. And actually what's interesting is that most statistics on HPV, um, they're kind of like a bit falsified in the sense that it takes a global view. But our healthcare system in in Western medicine or Western parts of the world is just um, so much better at doing the the prevention part and doing the pap smear. So if you would just look at the statistics from countries that have all this healthcare and the preventative um, or like proactive kind of uh, screening, Mm. then the statistics would be very different. Because, of course, if you take on the worldwide, if you look at it from a worldwide perspective, a lot of countries that don't have access to healthcare, there is so much more HPV that leads to cervical cancer because there isn't this um, screening. Yes, totally makes sense. So maybe if we can start at the start and maybe if we can go through um, what exactly is HPV, how can it be spread what are some of the main symptoms or triggers? Because I feel like it's also kind of like so stigmatized and can be such a taboo topic for people to talk about that it it gets grouped in certain other conditions and confused with other conditions as well. True, true. Um, so it, it is stigmatized because it is labeled as an ST, STD, so a a sexually transmitted disease and thought thus everything that has to do with sexually transmitted diseases they have this stigma mm. um unfortunately um, because even if you practice safe sex and you don't necessarily change partners all the time and you do all the right things according to society um you can still get these diseases and especially with hpv there's you know, statistics say that over 80% of women, they get HPV at some point in their lives. And it's not really something that you can just avoid um, by having safe sex. Mm. Uh, So it is a shame that it is stigmatized in that way. And that also really leaves many women anxious and not wanting to talk about it or share and looking desperately for answers on on social media and google which is not always the best place to find information yeah so it's like like this vicious circle that i'm also hoping to be able to bring some light into or or break Mm. yeah Yeah, like that there can be another option and also to have the education like i saw your post um the other day about how education is 
power and education is key for HPV. And yeah, we do have to take our our healing journey into our own hands and find the right people to support us rather than just waiting to see if things heal naturally, I think. Um, yeah, I do think that, I think you also mentioned that in your the one, uh, one of the podcasts that I, I listened to from you is that, you know, you're all about empowering this health journey and this knowledge is just the empower. It's just so empowering to right. have knowledge about your health and your condition because nobody is going to, you know, nobody's going to stand up for yourself more than yourself. Yes. And it's really crucial that we take interest in our health. And don't just rely on the doctors to do it for us. Mm. Um, yeah, That's I think right. nowadays even more so. Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, especially when it's these types of conditions, because, yeah, I'd love to hear what, because obviously you see a lot of people with HPV and is it quite common to be told that, we're going to wait to see if it clears up for itself. Like what's usually the standard kind of route that um, that takes place when someone gets diagnosed? So it, I have found that there is quite a variety of solutions that are proposed depending on what country you live in, but they all come down to either the wait and see approach mm. or some kind of invasive maneuver to remove uh, the cervical dysplasia if you have cervical dysplasia so if there's just just hpv then without any cervical dysplasia or genital warts then it is always the wait and see approach that is being recommended so basically come back in a year and we test uh, test you again mm-hmm. and um, if there are any kind of um, changes to your c- cervical cells or cervical dysplasia if it's mild, then often it is also a wait and see approach. So if it's uh, like graded as a SIN1, uh, which is the mildest form, then maybe come back in six months or even a year and we test again. Because, and it, this is true, that in 90% or of cases, women clear HPV on their own within two years. Mm. So there is a very high chance of women to clearing this on their own, Mm. but there's so many factors involved and women are not screened for these factors. So whether you're part of the 90% or the 10%, you know, nobody really looks for that when they do the recommendation. Mm. So the women that I see are obviously the ones that are not in the 90% category and who've been dealing with this for a very long time and they're tired of always waiting because waiting is a really anxious process. Yeah. And you feel like you're you're helpless and you you can't do anything about it, right? You're not really it's the opposite of empowering. Yeah. And that is um that's not enough for many women. And that's why they go and they're like, this can't be right. There must be better solutions out there. There must be other mm. um, other possibilities, other choices that I have. Mm. And I'm, I'm really grateful that women are becoming more and more curious about these things and, um, and don't just accept the wait and see approach. Mm. Because there are a lot of things that you can do, which is obviously my, my domain. Mm. Um, but yeah, so either wait and see or invasive surgical procedures is really the go-to in the mm-hmm. conservative medical world. And so would the invasive surgical procedures, does that usually happen 
when someone's um is that usually with the cervical dysplasia that yes the- so the yes exactly so it's only if you have cervical dysplasia that you can be recommended depending on the severity or the mm-hmm. longevity of these changes so if somebody has low grade cervical dysplasia which basically means that the the cell mutations haven't penetrated too far into the tissue that's how the grading is like if it's sin one these uh, cervical cells that have um, mutated are just on the surface and the further down they are into the tissue the the higher grading it is mm-hmm. so some women already get recommended the removal with sin one if it's been persistent or okay. it depends on the doctor in the region and others are not recommended until they have sin two Mm-hmm. Or with C three, it's it's like definitely recommended to do like it's a very urgent procedure. Mm, yes, yes, yes. And so, just also wondering about the difference between the cervical dysplasia with the HPV compared to people who don't have cervical dysplasia, because is there other types of symptoms? Can you be asymptomatic as well? Um, I think, um, well, except if you have genital warts, which may may or may not be visible, um, cervical dysplasia or HPV is pretty much uh, without any or asymptomatic, yeah. um, That which is why it's such a silent disease and why we need the screening, because there aren't really any signs and symptoms until mm-hmm. it gets really, really bad and it's, it's like um, a cancer. Yeah. Um, so the differentiation is hey, you need HPV the, as the virus to to get cervical dysplasia or to have warts gotcha. and different strains of the virus because there's over 100 different strains of this virus different strains of the strains of the virus cause cervical dysplasia and other strains cause uh, warts and then there are some strains which are called high risk because these have been deemed to be the ones that have the highest risk of developing cervical dysplasia, which then goes on to having a higher risk of becoming cancer. Mm. So there's different um, strains which are which do different things, but it's all the HPV virus under one one big umbrella term HPV. Okay, so then there's lots of different strains and the different strains can cause, either the cervical dysplasia, genital warts, which aren't always visible. Sometimes they can be internal as well. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And so just um, just going back to the different strains of the virus, when we're talking about the HPV vaccine, is it right that that vaccine doesn't cover every single strain because I've had people who have been diagnosed with HPV and then said oh but I had my vaccination so how could this happen so what what's happening there there's two different things with the vaccine Uh, one is that yes it only covers some strains so the strains that are deemed to be the highest risk for developing cervical cancer Mm -hmm. and the vaccine that has the most strains has eight strains in it Okay. Uh, and they do cover <clears throat> something in the 90s percent <clears throat> sorry of the so-called cancer causing strains mm-hmm. um so it, it has a high protection in terms of percentage towards that but it's not a hundred percent 
So mm. we're talking in the 90s. So there's still, um, you know, it's still not 100% safe, which is can be misleading because you get the vaccination. You're like, oh, okay, now I'm protected. Yeah. So that's the first issue. The second issue is if you at any point in your life have, has, have been um, exposed to one of the strains that is also in the vaccine, if you've been exposed to that before you get the vaccine, mm-hmm. then the virus is already in your body. And mm-hmm. the vaccine is not going to be as efficient to towards this strain. Okay. Um, which is why we vaccinate children who are, you know, uh, it depends a little bit on the country, but around 12 years of age mm-hmm. is when most children are suggested to be vaccinated for HPV because they're deemed to not have been exposed to the to the strains yet, which sure. is only partly true because you can also be exposed in other ways than sexual contact. Mm-hmm. It is not the most common way to be exposed, but it can happen. It oh. can even happen. They've made studies that it can happen at birth as well. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the virus then clears, and, you know, babies are not HPV positive the whole time. They're positive when they get born and then it goes away, but it means you've already been exposed to some strains and they're mm-hmm. in your body already. So the argument is, this is just my personal opinion, mm-hmm. argument is like, if you've already been pre-exposed to those as a baby or a child or, you know, how, how potent is the, mm-hmm. is the vaccination going to be, which yeah. is why... I don't understand why women are being suggest or being offered the HPV vaccine when they're diagnosed with HPV. Yes. And and well, I do understand it because I know why they do it. It's because the HPV vaccine has been proven to be effective against HPV. And the reason, again, this is my opinion as well, but the reason is a vaccine what it does to your body when it gets injected is it triggers an immune response, right? It, it, it annoys your immune system. That's what a vaccine is supposed to do, right? It's like, it's got some toxins in there and that really annoy the immune system and wakes it up because you need an immune response for the vaccine to, to be taken up by the body. So that's what happens. It wakes up your immune system. What happens when you wake up the immune system? Well, it goes and fights the HPV, right? So Mm. in that sense, I, I do, I wonder, and I challenge whether it's the HPV vaccine that can help or whether it's just the vaccine toxins oh. themselves that trigger a immune response that then helps clear the HPV. Mm. Yeah, interesting. That definitely makes sense. Yes. But giving the vaccine as a promise that it will help prevent uh, a reinfection is false security because if you've already been exposed to those strains, the vaccine will not help against them mm, yeah that's right and like you may have strains in your body that are not active right now yeah so you can't test for them but they're there so you don't really know how many strains you've actually been exposed to in your lifetime sure and this is just like the prime example of why education is power because so many people don't understand that and yeah get into that false sense of security um with the HPV vaccine. And um, I'm also just wondering, because I know that both males and females get the HPV vaccine, get given that usually at the young age, but there's no, am I correct in saying that there's no test for males 
to test if they do have HPV? There are tests available, but they're not like, um, they're not routine testing and they're not really yeah. like commercially on a big scale available, but you Absolutely. can find them. Mm. But it can also be hard to detect on men because um, the HPV virus just, it sits on the foreskin of the penis and it's a very thick wow. tissue and it's not a place that's easy to test for like the cervix where you know, the, the cells will be present or the virus will be present in mm -hmm. a different way. Of course, there are also, also other areas where you can have HPV. There is, you know, anal and throat and uh, cervix and penis. So there's different places. Okay. So you can swap for other areas as well as a man or okay. a woman. Sure. Um, but again, I keep saying this, a swap is just a moment in time. That's right. It, it's just right. It's like, it's just right now. It's like with the we've done lots of these COVID swaps, right? It's a moment in time. If you don't hit the right spot or the right time of the day or I don't know, whatever, then then you get a negative, a false negative. Or mm. and, and this can happen with the HPV as well, that if you don't hit the right spot or maybe um, the body has just cleared it or is going to clear it or you don't know what, you know, it's just one, one moment in time. Yeah. So you have to take that with a grain of salt as well. Mm, yes, yes, yes. That's true. And um, okay, so we've learned what it is, how it's spread, um, that it can be asymptomatic, that there can be different things to do with cervical dysplasia, genital warts that may also not be um may not be visible. We've talked about the vaccine and why I may still contract HPV even though I've taken the vaccine. And I'm also just wondering, so we touched a little bit on the invasive procedure to um, help with the cervical dysplasia, abnormal cells on the cervix. So is that something that is quite common to happen? Is that something that you notice a lot of your clients get done and then they still have the HPV after getting the... Because there's two, is there two names for it? Leap and Leets, Lets, right? Yeah. Leap and Lets. Yes. And there's also cone biopsy and there's also laser surgery. So there's many different types, but the most common is the the leap or the uh, the cone biopsy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so, yeah. The one is just, go, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, yeah. So I was just wondering is it true that even after you get that surgery, you can still? have the abnormal cells cervical dysplasia after that like that surgery is not always 100% as well yes that is correct um again for several reasons um of course the women i see will change you know my my clinical experience is that the leap procedure or the invasive surgery surgical procedure um does not guarantee that you're free from HPV forever because the clients I see are the ones that are having recurrent issues okay. or many of them that I see. So the statistics that I see will probably be different than the global statistics because people come oh. to me when they've been trying things several times. So yes, I do see a lot of women where who have had surgery and where the HPV comes back. And th there can be several reasons for this, as I mentioned, because first of all, you may not have got it all. Anyway, there may have been some areas where 
it wasn't detected during the biopsy or the colposcopy where they put this dye on your cervix and they look at the spots. You may have had some spots on your vaginal wall, which is what I see more and more often now. It's, it's not called sin, it's called vein, which basically means vaginal cervical dysplasia. Mm. Um, and this is really difficult to see when you're doing a... a when the when the doctor is doing a um, colposcopy, so looking for the, the the spots where the dysplasia is, mm. so that's one reason. There could be some spots they have they've missed. The other reason is that the reason why you got HPV has not been addressed at all. Yes, right? the only thing that happens with the surgery is you're removing the cells which are causing trouble. And you're causing an immune reaction by doing this because you're cutting into the tissue. And that's a really invasive thing for the body. So the body's like, hello, what's going on? Mm. Let's go and send some fighters down there and repair this. So there's a big re immune response, which helps clear the, the HPV as well. Um, so, so that sense, it, it causes a positive response from the body. Of course, it leaves a scar and it leaves can leave many side effects. So there are that that's why the the surgical intervention is quite you know invasive and and mm. can leave a lot of uh side effects or yeah yes yes well but, it's really as like i said yeah you don't you don't you don't solve the you don't solve the issue you just yeah. remove the cells but whatever what's going on before which caused the hpv to flourish has not been removed so if you continue living the same lifestyle the same diet the same stress the same whatever dysfunctional stuff is going on in your body, mm. then chances are really high that it's going to come back afterwards because what's going to prevent it from coming back? Sure. Yes. Yeah, so that's great. So it's like, rather than thinking about the surgery may not have been, um, may not have been complete or fixed the problem. We're more so thinking about the root cause, the underlying issue is still present in the body and that has not been addressed. Yes. Yeah, got you. Yeah. So um, what what do you find in your clients with HPV and all of your research you've done on this topic? What are some of the main um causes Driver. what are some of the yeah. main yeah drivers triggers all of these things that actually contribute to hpv well in essence it's anything that causes an inefficient immune function mm. but what causes that and the biggest one i see is stress and anxiety that is the the biggest one and then we have all gut related issues mm. um and then hormonal related issues so I think these are the, the biggest ones that I see, but mostly the first, the first, if you already work on the first two, then, you know, you're, you're already in a very good place. Yeah. So working on the stress, anxiety, gut. Yeah. And your gut issues, any gut issues. And then of course, just working on anything that helps improve the immune system itself. Mm, makes sense. Yep. So in terms of thinking about, the stress and anxiety is that usually something that you would look as like your first port of call with a lot of your clients it's not even something that I have to look for because I already hear it when I talk to them for the very first time mm. because also the HPV is often something that causes them a lot of anxiety yes. and but it is you often often women who already have 
stress or anxiety. But I, I don't know about you, but I I think most of our clients nowadays have, you know, an, an, an overactive stress response just by living and breathing in this modern day. Yeah. Keep modern age that we live in. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. And that's definitely something I usually ask about my clients when I'm asking, you know, about what main stresses are in their life. And it's actually really rare that people talk about their health being the stress. But then when I kind of say, oh, how about, you know, all of the Dr. Googling you've been doing with your health, like seeing a thousand different specialists, trying to, you know, figure out how you can just live with this condition and go on with your life. And usually after that little prompt, they're like, oh, yeah, actually, that is definitely a stress. Self-reflection. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I guess because of the in terms of the second one that you said about the gut health, um, would you say that's because most of the immune system lives in the gut? Is that usually the work that you're doing on gut health in terms of HPV? I would say it's just because any chronic things need to come from a dysfunction over a long time. And often that is a, is a, some sort of digestive function, dysfunction, whether it's, Mm. um, the gut not working properly or whether it's just chronically not eating well um usually they're related but not always some people have great gut function even though they eat not well which is you know just very lucky constitution i guess (laughs) but it just um everything just has an effect on long term on 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 your immune because yes you were mentioning your to answer your question Mm. If you have long-term issues, you've got some sort of low inflammation going on and the low inflammation just is, you know, a dysfunctional immune immune, um, function. Yeah. Triggering for the virus, the viral load, I suppose. Yeah. When the immune system is busy fighting low-grade inflammation somewhere in the body, it just doesn't have the capacity to fight the HPV virus. That's how I see it. You have a certain amount of soldiers available in your body. And when they're busy putting out fires somewhere else, you know, they, they don't have the time to deal with the, with, with, with the other stuff, you know? Yeah. These like low, low grade chronic types of things that are happening in the background. Exactly. Exactly. So when we, if we can lower that inflammation, then um, the immune system has the capacity to, to, to find the HPV and actually um, deal with it. Mm. Often when women, they Google, uh, solutions because they're not happy with what the doctor said and they're they're like this can't be right there must be something else they start googling and then they find all these amazing uh, immune enhancing immune boosting supplements and they that they then start taking and and mm-hmm. that is you know it's a great start but what i also educate the women on is then you take this but again when you stop taking it you're back to square one yeah. It's like a band-aid. It will only help for as long as you're actually taking the supplements. That's so right. you won't you still won't get these long-term results. If you need fast results, yes, you can work on boosting your immune system at mm. the same time as treating your triggering, your triggers or your underlying issues. Mm. Because that's the only way to get long-term solutions. That's right. And I always say that as well, that naturopaths can still do Band-Aid solutions, but it's not something that we do here in my realm of the world. 
<laughs> and I do lots of band-aid solutions with my yeah. clients with with high grade cervical dysplasia because we have to. Right? Sure. We we can't afford the time to wait for these uh, underlying things to 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 get better, right? We have to go in with you know the whole mm. brigade uh, to get to get this HPV kind of calm down and the cervical dysplasia to stop it from 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 getting worse. Yes, and of course yes. we then also at the same time work on the long term stuff. Mm. Um, but there are moments where we have to we have to use band-aid solution because we don't have the luxury and the oh. time. Sure, yeah. that makes so much. But you sense. can't do one without the other, which is also why I, I don't treat clients short term. I, I'm like, you need time for this. So the minimum amount of time I work with a client is eight months. Because mm. I'm like, if you do any less, I'm you, I'm not doing you a favor. You know, I want you to get results. I don't. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you have your goals for the client that you know is you're able to get there, and. Exactly. Yeah, giving that expectation, I'm sure people would love that as well, to have like realistic expectations of what they're up for, um, you know, to to be able to really feel comfortable with the treatment too, not leaving things open-ended. So that just sounds amazing for something that doesn't get, um, doesn't get spoken about or treated enough. I feel like even when you Google HP, HPV solutions, it just comes up with like, no solutions, <laughs> no cure. Wait and see. Like all of these doom and gloom types of types of answers. And yeah, especially if you if you look at medical websites. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to add some yeah. keywords. So I'm kind of like you know, <laughs> yeah. like holistic treatment for, or herbal treatment for, <laughs> or something else. And then you you do find other things. But again, <laughs> you find ten different websites. They'll say ten different things. You know. So oh. it, it is a jungle. It is it really is a jungle for for people. And many women I talk to, they've started doing something here and mm. t- t- taking a few supplements for a few months there. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, that's you, know, you. You need to have a plan that you stick to for at least six months. You can't just that's right. Take one bottle of pills here or one bottle of pills there. Exactly. Um, but how would they know how to do it? Like it, it, you're nervous, you want results, and you don't know what to do. So you kind of just grab whatever you hear is good. And then you take the next thing that you hear is great, right? Yeah. Because you don't have consistency because you don't feel confident in mm. and making I the choice. Because it is quite an asymptomatic picture. You know, it's not like we have eczema and we're taking the thing and then the eczema starts to heal and you can gradually wean off things yourself. Yeah, um, results, yeah. Yeah, whereas this one, you know, it's quite invisible and, you'd kind of be like, well, I don't know, I'll take it for a couple of months, see what happens. So, yeah, that's so true. Having someone to guide you who knows their stuff, knows you, okay, this herb takes this long to work, um, definitely helpful. And do you do, so you do internal herbs, nutrients, food, lifestyle changes, all of that jazz, and do you do anything um, vaginally? like internal as suppositories or yes i do i do vaginal suppositories for um well i say for hpv but they're for cervical dysplasia i don't mm. i only give it to clients with cervical dysplasia um and and that is such a great adjunct therapy mm. because when you can work <clears throat> when you can work on something locally first of all you bypass any issues you may have with absorption in the gut or digestive issues 
and you just uh, get to apply the treatment uh, exactly where you need it. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it gives um, it gives faster results. And I love using uh, vaginal pessaries. I have one right here lying here. I always have one next to me oh, uh, that I can that. women when I'm when I have a, a call with them. You know, obviously this is not yeah. one that I would use. But yeah, no, I I find it a really useful tool. Tool. Mm, yeah. Of course, a- if they have anybody comes with warts, then you can also apply um, uh, tinctures or yeah. creams that I do f- directly on the on the warts. Yes, yes, and that de- definitely makes sense in terms of treating things right at the site and having something that is natural and not full of rubbish as well um you know so many antivirals or things that people try and get their hands on in the medical world can be so disruptive to like the actual vaginal microbiome as well and cause issues there so actually that's just a thought I had do you see links with other types of vaginal imbalances like bv or candida any types of chronic issues like that? Yes, totally. I mean, anything that disrupts our vaginal microbiome mm-hmm. um, will also disrupt the the vagina's ability to deal with uh, with things like HPV. Whenever our our pH in the vagina is over four and a half, which is what it's supposed to be, then mm-hmm. it's prone to any kind of pathogens, any kind of uh, outside invaders have a much easier um, possibility to to take hold in in the vagina when it's mm-hmm. out of when the pH is out of balance or when the wrong m- microbes are in there. So anything that's chronic, any issues, as you say, BV or candida, mm-hmm. they are a disruption of pH uh, microbiome, mm-hmm. and that will also make it easier for HPV to thrive. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's so interesting. And I heard you say as well earlier about the hormonal aspect and that's something I'm really interested in. Um so I'm wondering what you mean by that? Is it when people have hormonal imbalances? Is it use of contraceptions? Is there any links with particular types of things that influence the HPV? Um, I guess it's both of all the the things you were saying. So uh, when anything you do that changes your hormone balance or changes, especially estrogen has a, has a, um, is a big influence on again, vaginal microbiome, vaginal Mm. pH, um, the, the metabolism you have of estrogen uh, Mm. changes what's circulating in your, in your blood, in your body, in the whole parts. And, any kind of um, hormone contraceptives also has an impact on estrogen and also has an impact on on uh, on fol- your folate status. Uh, mm-hmm. right? So when you take hormonal contraceptions, your folate may be low and that has an impact, a direct impact on HPV as well. They have found that both estrogen and um, and folate People who have a, a change in 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 those uh, levels and a change in the way we metabolize the estrogen, they have a higher risk of getting high, um, how do you say, 
cervical dysplasia um mm. grade cervical dysplasia wow that's so it does have an impact but actually i was reading a study the other day which mm-hmm. showed that taking hormonal contraceptives does not have an impact on hpv so mm-hmm. they 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 had like women who took um hormonal contraceptives and pe- women who didn't and they mm-hmm. had the same outcomes with the hpv so right. I, you know that kind of bummed me out a bit because i'm like okay i get it you can do a study and you can get these results but if you look at it from a different perspective, like the hormonal contraceptives, it does these changes to the body. And these changes in the body, they do give you a higher risk of, That's right. of HPV, uh, persistence. I'm mm-hmm. like, ah. but you know how it is in science. You can yes, you can make studies to prove anything you want to know, right? Exactly. Uh, it's like anything well, that... Yeah. My logical <laughs> sense just says that, you know, if the hormonal contraceptives do this and these yes. things are bad for, <laughs> you know, for HPV proliferation, then logic says you shouldn't, um, you should put take this into consideration. That's right. Yeah. Well, I guess there's studies that show um, hormonal contraceptives disrupt the gut microbiome and vaginal microbiome. And if they're disrupted and that contributes to HPV, then it makes sense. But yeah, I totally agree with you. It's like any type of herb or nutrient or anything there's a study that proves it and there's a study that disproves it (laughs) but this goes for uh hrt as well right for hormonal Mm -hmm. replacement therapy because i have a few clients on that as well and it is a very it's a very difficult topic because they're taking it for a reason and yeah uh, i would argue that it's easier to stop taking oral contraceptives than it is to take hrt Yes, agreed. Uh, it has agreed. A, a bigger impact um, for most women. There are, of course, exceptions in to both both of them, but that is, that is a tricky one, you know, to to kind of like get around and to slowly say, okay, what do you want long term, and do you want to get away from the artificial HRT and go the natural way? But that also has disadvantages. So that is something that a discussion I have with quite a few of my my clients. Yeah. And I guess that's where it just becomes individualized treatment, you know, about how, what, what are your goals um, and being able to take that on for each client. And, you know, I think even like hormonal birth control um, manifests and affects everyone quite differently that it also comes into that individualized approach and you know how has that affected people in the past did you start taking birth control and you got chronic thrush from then or that's when something else started and thinking about it in that individual way that okay maybe that is affecting you more than the next person which may be a factor if we're trying to work on the HPV as well. But I do think that most of the clients I see, or let me put it the other way around, very few of the clients that I see take um, hormonal uh, mm-hmm. birth control or hormonal. Yeah, uh, I, I some have taken it before, but have stopped. So I think I just think this this information around the um, OCP is um, is more widespread nowadays. I think so. Yeah, the awareness around the effects of it are more well known. Mm. And those women who are looking for alternatives for their HPV are are maybe also a bit more aware in that area. At least yeah. that's, that's my experience. I definitely agree. I've noticed that 
over the years that I've been practicing that it becomes, it's become less and less people who are wanting to stay on hormonal birth control and even HRT. I do have some menopausal clients who are really looking for the natural alternative to both of those types of medications because yeah, there definitely is more awareness around it now, which is amazing. And hopefully we'll be saying that about HPV in the next five years as well. (laughs) That would be great. And also now we are soon over October now, but in November is men's is always men's health month, right? In November. Mm. So I'll also be doing a lot more posts around HPV and men's health. Um, because I do think that that is, that is something I get so many comments from my followers and from clients as well saying, but, but what can my partner do? I mean, if we have male partners, right? Sure, sure, sure. If I have a male partner, what can my male partner do? Or uh, what about men? And, 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 and I th- find that that is, that is an even less talked about subject. Less, and yes. I even had a few men who've contacted me saying like, what can I do? You know, this is great information. And, and of course, a lot of the things that I say, they apply to both men and women, but I talk directly to women. So men oh. really don't feel like I'm talking to them. Um, but but just saying that women should should know that there are things that their partners can do as well to avoid this ping pong infection and... Okay. And also just to support, yeah, support support them as well. Yeah, for sure. That's great. So, okay, so it can go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, kind of like how candida and other types of um, vaginal infections can happen. So similar type of thing, if you clear up your HPV, you can get it back and forth from your partner if they haven't cleared up theirs. Yes. Yes. Right. Okay. Okay. But there are things that males can do internally and also externally. Is that right? It's rare that I recommend internal, but, but I do, if, if they have symptoms, yes. But if there's no symptoms, then I mean, symptoms for men would just be warts. Yeah. Um, But they don't get any dysplasia in that sense. Um, So Mm -hmm. at least not penile you know there it can happen other places but okay we're talking right now is the, the most common form which is yes yeah. um so, so i it's about about keeping the ph low okay so you can do like an apple sin apple cider vinegar uh, mm-hmm. diluted wash like a penis wash in the shower every day for example to keep that low ph because then great then the hpv virus will not attach yes to the penis and then you can't uh, then you can't bring it back and forth but this is this is really only during uh an active kind of treatment or active virus because once you have cleared it um it, it won't be um it, it won't be the same issue anymore yeah well, so if both if both partners have cleared it then it's not yeah. necessary to just continue doing that type of treatment i suppose no but again we don't really know when men have cleared it so it's a bit that's of a, right yeah the next thing you know totally yeah it's it's such a complex um type of situation I'm sure which um you deal with a lot with a lot of your clients but it sounds like you have designed your program quite specifically to this holistic but scientific approach as well which I just absolutely love would you um yes. would you care to share more about the program? 
Yeah, sure. But I, I really like what you're saying about the scientific part, because I do find that very important. And I, I am, what I always say is I'm pro-choice, mm. you know, and, and I do, I have clients that I, I recommend having a leap procedure. Okay. Because I'm telling them if, if this is causing you so much anxiety, then go and have the leap procedure yeah. and then we can, do, and then we can heal your underlying causes. Mm. because it's not about one being good and the other being bad it's about finding the right choice for that person and there isn't no one size fits all um mm -hmm. you have to use the best of all worlds to find the best solution right i love that so, yeah and I, and i do like grounding whatever i do in science it can also be uh, traditional evidence but some sort of evidence because yeah i just find that we need something to to base our things and we need some foundations that are solid we can't just pull right. things out of thin air because there is enough quacks out there you know mm. and i don't i don't like that <laughs> that's right and you know for you know for something that is so it's it's a serious condition that needs to it be is. Um, treated properly and I 100% agree with you when clients are putting their trust in you um, to help with a specific condition it's just like that due diligence that I definitely feel as well um, that these things have to be like solid tried and tested have the evidence you know you have your clinical um you have your clinical experience as well with real life people, not just people on the studies as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Which also is so, so helpful. And, um, you know, just gives people that, I guess, like knowledge that you've helped these people before. This was their experience. These were the things they went through and that type of stuff can make them feel less alone in the situation too, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, to me, it's all about, you know, giving them the options and teaching them what each option does and then them making their own decisions. I'm not going to mm. make decisions for them because then, I, uh, you know, I feel like I wouldn't be offering them a better solution than they've received before. They need to learn to make their own decisions. Totally. Yes, I 100% agree. Um, so yeah, you were talking you about my program. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, what I, I have two different sorts of programs. One is an online program. You just go through it yourself and you basically come out the other end with a treatment plan that you right. can then follow. Right. Um, and then I, um, I give you all the steps so that you can put together um, like a plan because I like to have a plan, something tangible. You come out the other end with something tangible that you stick to so you don't uh, buy a new bottle every month, but you have something <laughs> like, okay, this it. is what I should do for the next six to 12 months Love it. um and the other is i follow my clients for eight months mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's what i've come up with as i was saying before that it is the minimum time i need to to get like a, a consistent uh, routine and to be able to say all right now you're at a point where you you continue doing this on your own and we can get some results done in those eight months already mm -hmm. so i see my clients I, I of course I have a, uh, a case taking session and I make a treatment plan for them and then I have these I call them checkup appointments they're just mm -hmm. like accountability appointments every three weeks Great. just 15 minutes 
And I find that really useful because life happens. Yeah. Three weeks just goes by like that as well. We all need someone on our in our corner to remind us that we're actually doing okay and we can do it and uh-huh. remind us of things we've forgotten. Um, so I find this every three weeks really works uh, works really well. Right. Um, and then we have some longer appointments uh, throughout the the time as well. But mm. um, I find that that is a really, yeah, I like that combination. So that is what I recommend mm. to not all clients. But most clients, all clients with complex or high grade dysplasia, people who come to me with a low budget and they only, only in mm-hmm. uh, have HPV without in cervical dysplasia or warts, I'm like, fine, you know, go ahead and, and do it and do do the DIY version. Okay. Um, because, you know, you have the time and you can sit and you can puzzle with it and stuff. Mm. But Anybody who needs faster results or needs a more of a kick in the butt approach. Yes. Yeah. One-on-one. Yeah. Yes. Love that. And so could people contact you and say, hey, this is what I'm going through. Which option would be best for me as well? Yeah. I see you have that as well. I also have a discovery yeah. call and right. I find that extremely useful because I can, you know, kind of like just get an idea of what people really need and yeah. I guide them in, in one or the other direction. Uh, whichever is is then the best for them. Amazing. And so um, where can people contact you, Christina? Website, Instagram? Yeah, exactly. I Most of my clients, they come from Instagram. It's where mm. I'm active and where I make silly videos and serious videos <laughs> and serious posts. They are so um, good. Can I just say the commitment to your videos is amazing. Thank you. <laughs> Love it. I, I must say, uh, two years ago, if you told me about reels, I would have, sh- you know, turned 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 around and walked the other way. But I've coming, I've come to love it. Um, love yeah, it. I do. And uh, yeah, so Instagram is where most people come from. It's also there's also links in there to right. to get um, to, to book a discovery call. Otherwise, I have a website which is very easy to remember. It's just uh, naturopathy.lu. Yes. LU for Luxembourg, where I live. Um, and there you have all the information. And of course, you can book in and read more about the topics as well. Yeah, you do have a lot of info on there. So I'll link your website and Instagram um, in the show notes of this episode so that people can contact you. Um, Thank you. Because I'm sure that there'll be lots of questions. Um So, yeah, thank you so much. That has been just jam-packed full of information. And I just know that so many misconceptions and, you know, things that people just have no idea about HPV will have been answered um, in this podcast. So thank you so much for sharing your knowledge. You're very welcome, Ellen. Thank you for such a beautiful podcast that you have. I, I love listening to the episodes, um, oh, especially thank the you. last one about the tiger. I like that one. <laughs> I love a good analogy, real life analogy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that was that was good, and it was so applicable to all my clients as well. You know, this like yeah. this stress is just uh, omnipresent nowadays, and we need to learn to um, to be aware of how often we're stressed and how we can relax. That's right. Yeah. It just affects so many different systems of the body, um, including the HPV, which we've just learned about. So that's just 
amazing. Thank you so much for today. Thank you, Christina. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Conscious Health and Life podcast. Please share this episode with your friends, subscribe to this podcast and give us a five-star review. You can also follow me on Instagram at Ellen Naturopath for more. Have an amazing day.